0: hey everybody welcome back to terminus the aqua four of extreme metal podcasts i am the death metal guy aka grizzly bear released into in this moment crowd
1: <laughs> and i am the black metal guy aka goose only speed run infinite mass glitch <laughs> uh,
0: is there is that a category in a particular game
1: uh, no, it's more like a, a loose interpretation of a, uh, a very funny series of photos that I found online the other day. <laughs> is, um, uh, if you if you Google man getting attacked by goose, you get a picture of some 16-year-old with golf clubs being chased by a goose. And the funny thing is, like, when the goose hits him, he completely goes 90 degrees up in the air. And it looks like the goose is... Um, the goo the goose seriously has the drop on him <laughs> um, it, 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 uh, the only way I can explain that is there was an infinite mass glitch uh,
0: uh, me and uh me and my uh, girlfriend walked into a gas station the other day and when we came out we were accosted by a gang of Muskogee ducks um, ooh. Yeah, there were four or five of them just just gathered around the entrance uh, to the uh, the door of the gas station, and uh, they were they were not aggressive, but they were definitely panhandling uncomfortably close. Mm-hmm. Uh, my girlfriend attempted to pet one; it, it it did not it did not go well.
1: I don't think you pet the gas station Muskogee duck.
0: I think yeah, that's, I think that's that, a
1: good way to get. That's a good way to get like uh, you know. um. I don't know what would. It's a good way to get something.
0: Oh, I mean, it's a good way to get stabbed. If any duck is going to have a knife, it's the kind that's loitering outside of a shell station in a bad part of town. <laughs> so, <clears throat> anyway, we got a show for you guys, real quick. Uh, housekeeping at the top of the hour. The usual. Follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast. Follow the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. And if you're particularly dedicated, uh, subscribe to us on Patreon, where $3 and up gets you access to our Terminus Prime bonus episodes and $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server, where it's been a lot of memes and a lot of going over uh, historical black metal records. Uh, But with that, uh, we've got something very special as a uh, a little short review up front um Some time ago in an interview with uh, Nikhil from anal stab wound I mentioned being very fond of a band called Embodied Torment, a uh, very brutal Brodequin style uh, brutal death metal band that released their first album in 2015 and then just went oddly silent despite the fact that it was pretty critically and uh, you know in terms of audience critique uh, acclaimed Um uh, I was very surprised when we received an email from one of the members of Embodied Torment, uh, Joaquin Chavez, who is sort of the, the core member of the project, who said that he had been listening to our show and was very surprised to hear his band mentioned, and let us know that Embodied Torment was rising from the grave with a new EP to be released this summer. Well, here we are. We've got the EP. It's awesome. This is Embodied Torment with Archaic Bloodshed, released, of course, on New Standard Elite, uh, Digital and on CD uh, so I was really excited to hear from Joaquin uh, the first embodied torment record liturgy of ritual execution as I said released in 2015 is really just sort of a, a touchstone for this particular style of brutal death um, these guys or this album in particular has become kind of a flagship at least in my mind of the new standard elite ultra brutal death metal style and um, Clearly descended directly from Broda Quinn, uh, keeping up the same sort of a medieval torture and warfare themes, but with updated standards of production and technicality and speed. Uh, it is incredibly brutal, uh, very unapproachable for those who aren't into brutal death, and I just love it to death. So I was expecting to some degree more of the same with the new EP, And that is true in the sense that this is very much descended from Brodequin and very much um, spiritually in keeping with the band's previous work. Uh, But it also had a lot more to offer. It seems to me that uh, Joaquin, with what is essentially a new lineup, except for him, this is almost a new band, is making an effort to walk a sort of tightrope where they maintain the Uh, the aesthetic intensity and the timbral extremity of this ultra-brutal death metal style, but tried to wind that style somewhat back to more traditional death metal songwriting. So uh, this EP exists at a really interesting point of inflection, where it requires uh, concentrated listening to pick up on all its intricacies, but it's not so unapproachable that it just sounds like a wall of noise. These are certainly songs. They have catchy, immediate riffs in them, alongside just huge walls of chromatic blasting. Uh, there's a ton of dynamics uh, across these three tracks. They're littered with individual moments that are immediately memorable and exciting. And overall, I just think it's a, a an outstanding effort to bring this ordinarily completely unapproachable style of Brutal Death into something that uh, a more typical listener could appreciate. And we've been noticing that a little bit with uh, Brutal Death bands in the past couple years, like I would talk about the Stabbing record from late last year, which also attempted to make Brutal Death a little bit more approachable by adhering to more traditional death metal songwriting conventions. But um, beyond all that rambling uh black metal guy uh you at this point are pretty seasoned in this style but you're still you know you still have to kind of feel your way around some of the really um big blasting granite wall stuff what did you think about this and do you think this is a way in for people that might have their reservations about this style of death metal
1: yeah it's certainly um less accessible than stabbing which i think means it's a more successful version of the Hmm. idea of taking brutal death and uh reintegrating it with death metal as a whole yeah um i think it it keeps what the what is authentically brutal death uh um that said um i don't know i have a couple so i i liked it a lot um it's about as up my alley as this style can be uh but uh, I have a couple of questions. So, okay, so this is more this is more accessible than Embodied Torment's older stuff. Embodied Torment's older stuff just sounded like classic Barodica. Uh y-
0: Yeah, I mean, in essence, but obviously, since it was released so much later, it's even faster and even more technical and even more indecipherable, mm-hmm. and the production is a lot more that sort of cloudy new standard elite thing where Mm -hmm. riffing is very challenging to make out because it's so fast and it's so distorted Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's generally it's like what you're hearing on this record but more rigorous and more sort of flat and crushing
1: okay um and you know, it, it also is an interesting comparison with the uh, Last Brodica in EP, which I remember we both checked out. I don't think I listened to the whole thing, but that one was a lot more accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the way that it sounded, more kind of like uh, more kind of like Marduk songs with palm mutes in them.
0: Yeah, yeah, you were talking you remember?
1: about. Do you remember me talking about that? It was kind of like thrash metal minor kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, and you've always recommended that band as like a way in for, uh, like aggressive black, black metal. metal people.
1: Yeah, and so I guess on perpetuation, it was the closest it had been, which was a little surprising. And, uh, I, and so this is, um,. Embody, so the embodied torment record is a step towards more accessibility for that sound, but it's different from like stripping it back to uh, kind of um, like stripping it back to note-streaming black metal riffing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's um, it, what else? I mean, I yeah. So you said that this is uh in the notes you said that a lot of the a lot of the riffs or at least the more melodic parts center on like the darkest possible Dorian scales
0: Mm -hmm. yeah there's these sort of like really really like evil epic Dorian minor stuff
1: yeah yeah I I, I hear that and I like it a lot Um, and uh, you mentioned something else in the notes which I think although should, should we wait to get to some of the more definite influences or talk about them up here
0: um, well, I, I think we can at least uh, let me throw out a sample, Good just a so sample. P- yeah, just so people can get an idea. So this is going to be off the second track, "Grasping Salvation," right from the jump. Um, I really like how distinct each of these songs is on the EP. Uh, all of these tracks feel very narrative in a way that I appreciate, and it seems like. Joaquin and company. Uh, it should also be said that as we constantly talk about Brodequin, uh, Joaquin is actually a live guitarist for Brodequin. So a lot of this material is coming directly from the source. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So these songs, though, are designed in this very narrative way, and it feels like Joaquin has really made an effort to. Make the sort of make the jump between an aesthetic and musical connection, and really convey that feeling of medieval bloodshed, uh, and I think that's really cool, and I think that it's very effective, and it doesn't sacrifice any of the extremity of this style in that pursuit. So let's check out "Grasping Salvation," where <laughs> uh, a bunch of chaos happens up front, it consolidates, and then we get into a wild lead section that is. Something I've never really heard before on a Brutal Death song, but I'm really interested to hear more of. Yeah. uh, So right up front, you've got a a sort of like traditional embodied torment section where you've got that huge wall of chromatic blasting for about 30 seconds. it's, It's very indecipherable in the way that I enjoy in this style. Then sudden break. And then we get into something that's like a very aggressive and epic incantation riff, which still has this sort of like odd thrash backing to it, which if you listen to Brodoquin, there's, as you've mentioned on their latest EP, it's the most obvious because of the production, but if you go back into older Brodoquin, there is a lot of that sort of thrash minor aspect to the way that those those riffs are designed um so then we get into that the music consolidates itself a little bit more and plays around with that riff idea goes through a few different variation sequences before this giant epic storming but still very uniquely shaped lead comes in um and that lead actually repeats verbatim toward the end of the track so it's not a random solo it's a very considered part of the the melodic space of this song Um, I think it's really fucking cool. And I think that uh embodied torment are really good, especially on this EP, at dotting these songs with moments like that to kind of guide the listener through some of these more inscrutable parts.
1: Yeah, so that that lead is is really neat, and I, I like what you said. It basically has the melodic shape of the more storming black metal of stuff like Dawn or Gorgoroth, maybe, but um Uh, but its it it has something different from those, which is that it is slow. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not tremolo-picked. It's played with just sort of like classic um, heavy metal guitar interlude uh, sort of inflection, right? Uh, Yeah,
0: it would be recognizable to Iron Maiden as a heavy metal lead.
1: Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so it's going, uh, but the background remains extremely fast. So you just have this, like, hovering, suspended melody that is uh, just as dark as the rest of it. Um, And that melody, and in that effect, it's really most like immolation. Uh, yeah. And y- you mentioned that in the notes, but as soon as you said it, I, I think I looked at your notes... I might have slightly biased my listen, by looking at your nose. but yeah, it's a, that 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 specific melody really is an emulation melody. They use that motif uh it a bunch of times. I think there's a specific song that not maybe not exactly those notes, but um uh something either from the latest album Atonement or from uh the or wait, Atonement was the one from What was the latest one? Uh, Uh, Acts of God. Acts of God, right? So it it reminds me of a melody from Atonement that may have also reappeared on Acts of God.
2: Mm, Okay. Um,
1: Yeah. Uh, But um, that is a persistent... And, you know, I've highlighted often places where modern brutal death stuff converges with immolation, which is one of the more, you know... uh, certainly some of the more extreme forward thinking and atmospherically dense of the new york death metal that's at the roots of bdm uh so it's always cool for me to hear stuff like that and i think you get a bunch of it throughout this and it's a really natural fit
0: yeah i i think that um i i think that just goes with my idea that uh, there is a concerted effort being made to because I've felt this too, in that I really love the the extremity and the technicality and the, the timbral ferocity of modern brutal death, but there is definitely a point at which it starts to function more like noise music and less like death metal. And I like a lot of that stuff too, but I really appreciate the idea of trying to bend this back toward more naturalistic songwriting. And, uh, I think that's achieved pretty well here. Although Joaquin is, uh, certain to provide one that sounds, uh, just like the stuff off Liturgy (laughs) of Ritual Execution, which is your next sample. (laughs) Oh yeah? All right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the third song is the one that it's like, Hey, we haven't forgotten how to just be fucking insane. You
1: know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I sampled this one. Uh, this is number three is Tongue of Iron. Um, And we're starting about 12 seconds in after an initial salvo. Uh, And I sampled this because it's fucking insane.
0: that's really good that's really extreme
1: (laughs) yeah that's extremely extreme metal okay review's done no um so the uh things to highlight there uh i mean the initial blasting is just uh inscrutable uh by design All, all you get is the percussive effect of it um but by about the minute mark it does start to acquire more of a recognizable shape uh, and you actually get a sort of da 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 pulse that's kind of like the big uh, the big slow uh, stern riff that we that the death metal guy highlighted on uh, on grasping salvation. Um,
0: yeah, there's. And, um, I, I do want to say just real quick, so I don't forget. I really love this particular drumming performance. Um, so this is a drummer that's new to the band. This is Alex Cohen, who appears to have just done a tremendous amount of work with different bands. He uh, he's, he's a New Yorker, so he was drumming with Imperial Triumphant for a long time, as well as a bunch of other kind of like proggy black and death metal bands. And his performance on this record is like very organic and sort of like, Nervous and tense in a weird way. It always feels like it's about to fall off the rail. I think it was like very deliberately done without a click track because he wanted it to slosh around a little bit more. And I think it's a really cool effect.
1: You know, yeah, I I hear what you mean. The drums are very cool. They're nuanced. It goes with the more rolling uh, emulation type stuff uh, for sure. And I I guess I can see some of that... uh, what we were saying, sort of nervous, frenetic thing coming more from the Imperial Triumphant stuff? Mm-hmm. I feel like he hits harder now. I mean, Imperial Triumphant, world's most, you know, underwhelming band. I, I feel like this is a much more brutal performance with like more physical impact.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's, he's really, he's arranged his performance around the style of this music very well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is really, yeah. This is a great drum performance for sure. Um, so, uh, then, so we get this sort of, uh, you know, the, 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 the brutal grinding takes on a more definite structure. And then at around a minute 25, we get this one-time, there are a lot of really cool one-time riffs, uh, riff events, um, uh, you know, limited, uh, copies limited to one. Um, and you <laughs> get the, it's this sort of asymmetric trem riff uh, that is very immolation-y and, um and, it, you know, it's... I can't even really describe. There's, like, much more sustained notes than anything you've heard in a previous sort of, uh, mangle of blasting. Um, and then it, it lights into a bunch of thrash runs. Just done so fast, you might not recognize them as thrash runs. Uh... But it's the kind of, um, but with way more, um, uh, way more notes in them. Uh, <laughs> not, not like actual numbers of melodic notes outside the palm mute, but just way more intricacy.
2: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: So it's, it's, the basic notes are still... Um, but it, it's like they there this is a strategy they use repeatedly um it's on the main track on the first track deconsecration of the monolith too mm-hmm. um the, the the really most clear-cut riff on that is like a half time part on rain and blood that is would might be like an eight part sort of phrase that has been turned into a 16 or 30 32 part phrase and There's never more than like maybe one to three open string notes, and the rule is that they're at a time, and the rule is there always has to be chug between them. And so you end up with this extremely elaborate, uh, this sort of like very riffy, distinct, memorable idea that is completely indecipherable right you know like you can't hum it you can't figure out what the notes are but it works exactly like a slayer riff um
0: yeah the the ethos appears to be brutal death metal is just death metal but more of everything (laughs) this is josh from defeated sanity and you're listening to terminus extreme metal podcast
1: we we buzzin yeah. <laughs> we we, we fin a bust this episode.
0: <laughs> I, I hit record immediately before you said that, and we're keeping that in. <laughs> gentlemen, gentlemen, we are back. Uh with uh, a release that came kind of out of nowhere. Um this is uh Astral Tomb's Total Spiritual Death, which is an independent release on Bandcamp and it seems like they've done their own CD run. Uh this, uh, when some of the people, uh, some of our guys on discord let us know this was out and it really took me by surprise because it feels like yesterday that soul gazer came out. But if you actually count it back, soul gazer was like February of 22. So it's been about a year and a half. Um, I also thought it was interesting that, you know, soul gazer had like a pretty prominent release on a decent sized label. Uh, and now total spiritual death is coming out independently, uh, And I think that's deliberate on the band's part. So for those who aren't familiar, Astral Tomb is a band of very young guys out of Colorado who do, um, as the black metal guy, uh, invented the term dark side weed energy, death metal. Soul Gazer from last year was one of my favorite records of the year. I think it was like number three or four on my, my top 20. Um, And it is a sort of truly bizarre, crawling, uh, very ugly, uh, psychedelic death metal record that seems equally influenced by, like, old Doom Death and Slam, as well as Frank Zappa and probably, um, like, 70s German electronic stuff, you know, Kraftwerk, Tangerine Dream, that sort of thing. Was Tangerine Dream German? I, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I know. They, they're they always said together, but I couldn't remember. So with uh, Soul Gazer coming out and being pretty well received by like fringe death metal weirdos, as well as a lot of hipsters. Uh, the question is where they would go from there. And Total Spiritual Death sort of answers that in that it continues down the path of like extreme experimentation with a lot of just sort of Oddball eccentricities to it, but it also feels different in that this feels very much like uh, another thing that the black metal guy has uh, sort of invented for the show uh, an RD record. Uh, this is highly experimental. Each of these songs is radically different. It's not cohesive in the way that a full length typically would be, although I think there are threads sort of guiding the listener through it. Um, Overall, uh, I like this a lot. I don't like it as much as Soulgazer, but I don't believe it's designed to be liked as much as Soulgazer, which is a very complete vision. This feels like the band sort of exploring, doing a full length, but one that's supposed to be a sort of smaller release. Uh, that's not designed to be as pivotal a statement I think this is where the band is sort of like working out what direction they want to move in from here and I'm anticipating that the third full length whenever that comes out is probably going to be a little bit closer to the center with a refined take on some of the experimental ideas that are found here. So let's get into the fight, black metal guy. What do you think of total spiritual death?
1: <laughs> well, I think I think you're probably right about the R&D thing. Um, another thing that points to that is the track t- the track lengths, mm-hmm. which are quite lopsided, right? So you've got a three minute, just under three minute track, two and a half minute track, five minute track, five minute track, three and a half, 13 minutes and 59 seconds. Uh, and a 4 minute and 52 track and the tracks themselves are pretty as as you already said, pretty desultory, they tend to jump between ideas uh, Uh that are not necessarily you wouldn't necessarily put them in the same track, so it's there's definitely some messing around going on, and messing around is how you figure out new directions and how you try things out so I think we we should take that into account um uh, the best stuff on here sounds sort of like a death metalized version of Tool, which, I mean, that is great. Um, there is there's some uh, there is some material on here that's as awesome as any of their other stuff, um, and the worst stuff really sucks. <laughs> um, and. Uh, overall as a release because there's so much of the worst stuff and it interferes with the structures of the songs uh, I gotta say this is this kind (laughs) of sucks and it is uh, if this is a sort of if this is a statement for where they want to go, I've got to say that is not where you know where I was hoping they'd go. Uh, but I think I think you're right. They probably are trying different things out. I just can't say I I can't say I enjoyed listening to it.
0: Um, I gotcha. Yeah. I mean this this is definitely um, this pulls on a lot of things you intrinsically hate.
1: Yes, very very hard on them.
0: There, there's um, sort of like there's probably no way that they could have made this record with its constituent influences in a way that you would have enjoyed.
1: <laughs> that's that's probably true. Although I think there's like ways that would have worked better on a songwriting level. I gotcha. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I could have I could have felt more sort of um, I could have seethed more. <laughs> they've been like well, they can't keep getting away with it
0: um well i think so, I, I think it's an important question to ask uh, you know I, I sort of brought it up in the notes which is I, I i think that astral tomb is one of those bands that really does make an argument for post death metal being an idea that's out there yeah um and now the question is kind of listening to this do you think that astral tomb Wants to center themselves as a death metal band primarily, or do you think that they want to spin off and just do sort of wild off the cuff shit whenever they want to? I think it's sort
1: of too soon to say. Uh, I think, well, here's the weird, here's one way of framing it, right? We've talked about like how a big problem often when a band wants to do post black metal or post whatever is that they take that term literally. So it's black metal with Mm post-rock, black metal with post-punk, black metal with things from the indie and alt-rock scenes. Um, And when someone wants to do... uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so it's the post-label is really... It doesn't just mean whatever comes next after black metal, some sort of development beyond it, maybe Mm -hmm. that's engaged with other genres it means black metal conspicuously filled with gestures towards things that um you know gestures towards things from like the art rock scene Mm -hmm. Um, and um this and that was especially prominent in the 2000s and the early teens uh and now it's just like a thing that people do as its own self-contained thing uh, and, uh, whereas there's other records that you and I have described as like, oh, this is post-black metal, and maybe it is influenced by Screamo or Shoegaze or whatever, but it actually just really doesn't sound like black metal anymore and is doing its own thing. Mm-hmm. Because these have been successfully integrated. This record, the interesting thing is that I think Astral Tomb came closest to authentic post-death metal on the first one we reviewed from them, Degradation of Human Consciousness. Mm. Yeah. Which did everything you would sort of did everything you'd want a death metal record to do, but in a completely different way. Right? It was just it it was the base material was the stuff you love, like slam and brutal death. But it the overall effect was uh but it was broken down in this there was this combination of insane musicianship and really primitive songwriting. Uh, like they had returned to the very fundamentals of extreme music. I was comparing it to shit like the Stooges or mm-hmm. whatever, just because of how garagey it was, um, and how it was really just like the basic material of like what a riff is. And they were um, making insane guitar noise in yeah. <laughs> uh, ways that reminded us both of like God, Flesh and Skin Chamber, mm-hmm. right? Something extremely stoned about it, but not in the conventional. Stoner way, yeah. Um, so that really seemed like a point towards point post death metal. Uh, Soul Gazer had a lot of that on it too, but also more things that we would conventionally associate with Prague or experimental. This record just has a lot of pieces of post genres in it, things from the post punk musical scene, and um, also Prague stuff thrown in. And it's thrown in in this kind of eclectic grab bag way sometimes next to metal parts sometimes interrupting them sometimes layered over them often with some skill these guys are great musicians and songwriters right Uh, but um it uh it comes off like the kinds of uh it comes off like the kinds of things that uh, bands from Brooklyn were doing in the early two thousands and the early teens, and it's uh, it, and it, it you know it irks me immensely for the same reasons.
0: <laughs> I got you. Well, well, let's let's get into some of those comparisons uh, up front because we're going to have a lot to talk about when it comes to you know individual techniques used. So let's go to what will probably strike people as the the immediate oh, something very weird is happening here track on the album, which is the third track, All Black Vet. Um, I'm going to play this from the beginning. We're going to listen to, you know, about the first half of the song. And uh, for those familiar with Gazer and Degradation and other releases, uh, you will probably notice a few things that are strikingly new. <laughs> So yeah, uh, upfront immediate weirdness. You've got all the analog synth stuff, and then uh, churning sort of slam riff with like ethereal '80s shoegaze female vocals over the top. Uh, definitely, definitely sort of bracing this early into the album. But I like it, and uh, I like it because of certain aspects of the guitar composition. Um, I think these guys probably just take very seriously a lot of stuff we're kind of jaded on. I bet these guys take, like, cynic extremely seriously. And they probably take later godflesh extremely seriously. Um, Later godflesh, uh, especially as it started (laughs) to progress into Jaisu, got really into the idea of doing these um, extremely heavy palm-muted riffs but built out of major key chord voicings. So you had this strange... What is that?
1: I think there is a severe weather siren in the background which is not supposed to be going off on a Thursday. So let's take a quick break so I can figure out what the hell is going on.
0: (laughs) Alright, we are back now that uh, the black metal guy's town has been devastated by the wrath of Thor. Anyway, so... (laughs) back to all black vet and uh it, it, it's weird wandering so uh like i was saying uh late god flesh going into Jesu. you had this interesting contrast between these like doggedly heavy sort of like almost celtic frosty rhythmic ideas just these like aggressive stomps but with these sort of shining major key voicings um And there's a lot of that on this song that's contrasted really intensely with the sort of churning chromatic stuff that we recognize from earlier in the band's discography. And I think that's a really cool set of ideas to play with. And just the idea of let's put ethereal female vocals over this basically slam riff is a fascinating idea that I don't know if you would sustain a whole record with that idea but it's certainly interesting to hear i mean that's what i would say about a lot of the weirdest stuff on this is i'm not sure what some of those ideas have in terms of like long-term legs musically but i think they're generally executed pretty well on this album and at least from an r&d perspective there's probably stuff you can pull out of those ideas
1: well, uh, yeah, I don't know. So this part is—it's um, it, definitely well executed. They've—they've um, they've done a great job of making the vocals mesh with the uh, with the heavier guitar stuff. Um, the, uh, you know, they, they've—I don't know if it's really a slam under it. It's still a muted riff, but what he's playing is these kinds of slided bar chords. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know. He, uh, you know, the guitarist and the guest vocalist have done a good job lining their stuff up. So her phrases meet the guitar chords at the end of each phrase, where she goes, when it sort of swells, when it meets that sort of, it has a high, the drone point is a high note. and listening to it today in the light of day with um, a little bit less uh, wrath, um, <laughs> I, uh, the the first, the most, the coolest influence that came to mind when I heard that was the vocal shaping sounds like some of the weirdest, most chromatic stuff that happened on the um, earlier "My Bloody Valentine" stuff.
0: I was I was um, thinking in a shoegaze so, right? I was so, thinking of that and Mazzy Star and stuff.
1: Yeah, so like the record before uh before Loveless. Oh yeah. Um, so that's uh isn't anything. Mm-hmm. Um which is is odd and dark and kind of gothy. Sounds more <laughs> like Sonic Youth. Um and the guitar the bar chords he's playing there, the, the sort of like big dense chords slide and the whole way that they're using the high string drone is all very sort of My Bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. But I can't say it works for me in the same way. It's skillfully managed songwriting-wise, but I feel like it's just next to this hideous chug part, and I don't hear them adding up to any. I hear like, oh, cool, that was a shoegaze part, and then this is a brutal death part. But I don't hear them adding up to anything.
0: I Um, I think the songwriting conceit on this record... Is um, I talked about a little bit in the notes. It's it's like a lot of extreme metal records thrive off of a sort of like interrelated homogeneity. Um, It's they songs sort of reference each other compulsively. I think that here it's just like. The, the principle from Astral Tomb on this record is like, as long as we can build some sort of transition, as, as long as we can d- even tenuously link melodic ideas together, we'll go in whatever direction we want. It's just like this single thread you can follow. It's like, it does not have the nested interrelation of a typical metal record, but I think there is something to follow.
1: Or of a My Bloody Valentine record. Mm, um, yeah. It, it's, there is... Um, there's not a continuous uh, atmosphere being built. Um, it's and th- then I've got to think about the part itself, okay the 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 vocal and guitar overlay skillfully done, but do I like hearing it? No, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I gotta say the first thing it reminded me of was not my bloody Valentine, but um, sort of the more, uh, scronky and bizarre the uh, side of early 2000s indie rock stuff that has like an academic music theory back or academic hmm. music training background so like uh, dirty projectors basically the conceit of like I feel like they this band is like trying new things and looking for things that might be post death metal or original but a lot of the parts that are most conspicuously wacky sound pretty familiar And the overlay of bright female vocals with like extremely dissonant harmony is something you get in a lot of the more kind of mathy, abrasive indie rock bands. So here's, uh, you're going to have to take my word for it that there's stuff like this that had more active and loud rhythm guitar work going Mm -hmm. on because this sample doesn't. But here's the dirty projectors on Useful Chamber. At the end of the phrase. Yeah,
0: no, I definitely get where you're coming from on that.
1: Yeah, it's, um, and, and, like, I just don't like how that sounds.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't really like it when Dirty Projectors does it. I'm not familiar no. with that band or mm-hmm. that scene at all. I, I, I never. <laughs> I I never dated girls who listened to stuff like that. So. I, boom!
1: I was I was literally gonna say I I know all this stuff because I was surrounded by it.
0: You you have to have a certain kind of New York girlfriend, you
1: know, bro, bro. I, you don't know how right you are. I remembered like I remembered something like. I remember shit almost uh, exactly like that from dirty projectors and then i who i really didn't like and i i listened to the album and i was like my gosh this is all much softer and more delicately arranged even though you can hear right that there's really jarring dissonance there mm-hmm. yeah just in the way the vocals are being layered uh and it, in that guitar sort of um in that sort of like i don't know jumble of guitars at the beginning of the sample mm. um there's really bizarre dissonance there but like i i remembered them using more loud guitars and then i realized oh yeah that's because i saw them live with my girlfriend at the time
0: ah uh, yeah yeah yeah
1: and i had to i i kid you not i hunted through a live video of the show i saw
0: trying <laughs> to find the relevant part um
1: so so yes, I am. I, I have been traumatized by the dirty projectors, and this album made me relive that trauma. <laughs> um, uh, but um, it's but yeah, basically like it, it's it's just the larger gesture that some of the more the way it's the point we make often on this show, the way to carry go beyond death metal is to return to the very roots of death metal and before and to refer like to, re- to return to really fundamental shapes and impulses which Astral Tomb have already done on their earlier stuff and this sort of like lateral reaching to other genres that people think of as arty inherently arty and forward thinking well they sound kind of retro it, it dates it to the early 2000s
0: Oh, I definitely agree that there is stuff here that sounds like sort of deliberately retro. Like a, a lot of the synth work is pulling directly off. Of, I always forget. There's some German name for that kind of music. You know, the whole Kraftwerk, Tangerine Dream thing. Cosmisch. Yeah, Cosmiche. Like there, there's definitely like it's directly referential to like Cosmisch stuff. And and that that was present on Soul Gazer as well. Um, I guess what I'm saying is I think that a lot of the sort of experimental impulses are more rooted in sort of 70s and 80s type stuff rather than 2000s. But that's just because I've got more experience with that section of stuff oh, and not as much with the 2000s. There's a bunch of that
1: too. There's a Snake Charmer riff on Cathedral, which I am not going to sample, but mm-hmm. I, there's a Snake Charmer riff on it that sounds like old Prague, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I, that was another thing that metal bands did in the early 2000s, Enslaved specifically. People said Enslaved are so progressive because they sound now like prog rock. They are incorporating prog rock elements. And Enslaved sounded less progressive than they did when they wrote the Hordain's Land EP because they were simply directly referencing old. They were writing rock and roll's complicated rock and roll songs, and directly import, importing parts of 70s rock and roll.
0: Yeah, I, I get right. that. He,
1: Although, I know you like that era of Enslaved and like the song. Well, that, that's
0: what I was going to say. is like, well, the thing to remember is those are great records, though. <laughs> you know,
1: like. Well, it depends whether you're talking about Issa and Rune or the later stuff.
0: I was, I'm was, i I'm mostly thinking of, like, Issa and Rune. I don't think an Enslaved's really put out a bad record, but that's, like, kind of neither here nor there. Or, you know, Below the Lights, where they started to get into that sort of I, thing. I
1: think the main point isn't whether is it good or bad, because I, mean, I like some of those records, too. I think it's, like was that more innovative enslaved? Arguably not really. They did come up with some really original riff patterns that I think have stood the test of time at that point. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah.
0: Well, let's uh let's get to another one. So, you've got uh, you've got the next sample cuz this one is more firmly rooted in the death metal territory.
1: So, this is a part I loved. Um mm-hmm. this song um th- this is this is the track Coward. Um, and uh The, the start of the song is, uh, the the, the start of the song is really cool. They do this, like, you sort of, um, the kind of thing that was happening in the 80s where the drum roll becomes the blast beat, Mm -hmm. right? Where the sort of, like, oi, pile up, uh, becomes the blast beat. So they they do this, you can hear it in Negative Approach, in Napalm, Death, probably in Siege, though I don't know them as well, right? Um... And uh, they go from this sort of primitive blasting to a thrash one, too. And they do it twice, but it sounds because of how they're. Because of their technical ability, because of the chugs, because of the guy's vocals. It sounds like brutal death metal, Mm -hmm. right? Just really raw and ragged. Twice they interrupt it with this, like, maundering little clean guitar part, which is the indie rock interruption tendency. I don't know why they do that. However, overall, that part is sick. Then. The sample starts with a slam that turns into a tool riff, or maybe always was a tool riff, man...
0: Yeah, that's it's really cool, and it's I I think it's cool specifically because like I think in a sense they're playing with the terms in the same way that they do on a lot of the other songs on this record, just in a way that's more satisfying to you.
1: Well, I was about to say I I, I was dude I was thinking along the same lines as I heard that last sample because that last riff is a doom riff.
0: Yeah, it's like right? a Sabbath riff. That
1: is. That, it's like sabbath or rever or like uh candlemass or cathedral or well, something well
0: that's the thing i think i think the snake charmer riff on the song cathedral is pulled directly from cathedral i think they got high and listened to cathedral and decided oh, to God, name that's their just song like cathedral the <laughs>
1: worst kind of, that's just the reasons everyone forgot about cathedral as they played <laughs> riffs like that but,
0: oh. but no there, there's a lot of people who like them because they play riffs like that you know that's
1: yeah well I, okay I don't,
0: I don't always agree with it but i understand
1: it <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so that riff is. I, I mean, no, I, I've been listening to Forest of Equilibrium a lot. That album's great. Yeah, uh, it's awesome. But um, zero snake charmer riffs. Or, but um, but like, that part there is a really effective integration of, uh, stuff that is not, you know, not brutal death, not slam, not industrial music. Um, and it's um. And it follows, I think, why is it more effective? Well, uh, it follows naturally in a sequence of ideas where there's like, they layer it with a bunch of other different kinds of classical, classic extreme metal riffs Mm -hmm. that are delivered in their sort of brutal slamming idiom. And the sequence is interspersed with actual stuff that you could only hear now, but in a very fluid way. And they show you ways that these are all kind of the same thing. So what happens there that is really cool is that they, they yeah, so you, you heard that kind of like tool riff, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, then they enter a blasting part, and it's super ragged, you know, death rash stuff. Um, it's literally a two-note riff right? Mm-hmm. So obviously they're do- here they're doing that kind of go back to go forward primitivism thing that they did so well on their earlier stuff um, and, and then that spills into a 6-8 part which is, I think you would point out rightly, very heavy metal mm-hmm. Right. it's yeah. like the most heavy metal part it's like the most heavy metal parts at the root of a bunch of different genres whether it's Doom or uh, early black metal or System of a Down or whatever, um, and and then that part goes into a the first throwdown riff, which is yeah, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, and that's like a, that's like a motif they've used before on various other songs. You're right,
1: you're right. It's super heavy, and it, it's like they're that's clearly coming from Brutal Death and Slam, but it also kind of sounds like Neurosis sped up. Uh-huh. Um, it's uh. And, or, and beat down it sounds, it's kind of like a beat down thing but to being done with a lot more texture than mm-hmm. is usual in the lead, in the sort of like that the sort of the the in in the part with the uh, the the melody, the wrink, the slide
0: oh, yeah a lot um, of a lot of astral tomb songs like just on a riff by riff level are sort of like slammer beat down songs with all sorts of crazy textures overlaying them yes.
1: And so there's this crazy slammer beatdown riff, and then you th- you think that's the beatdown. You think that's the throwdown. And then he goes, do Go face me. And then you get big throwdown. But the big throwdown is just a classic Doom riff. Yeah, but yeah. Because of the way they've sequenced it, it also works as a breakdown.
0: Yeah, they're, um, they're playing with your natural expectations.
1: Yes. So here there are things that are definitely not, like, the first thing we'd expect from this band... But they're all being worked into their underlying vocabulary and they're taking what they're doing and installing it in older and older iterations of the tradition rather than looking outside it for novelty. And I find this approach to innovation a lot more convincing and it also gets them a bunch of additional room to play with melody and texture.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I, I get what you're saying Um, and and I think, I guess what I... My point is that I think that they're doing both of these things in equal measure, which goes back to me saying it's an R&D record. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's like the kids are having fun, you know, playing, playing around with all these different things that they that they enjoy from all these different sectors. Yeah.
1: Fun cop. Fun cop, here, here yeah, to shoot your that dog. Certainly <laughs> <not>. That's certainly my job. That's certainly... Yeah, I've got. To, I'm sorry. I, I hear your dog has drugs.
0: <laughs> All right, Let, let's um, let's go to the uh, the capstone epic of the record, which is "Funeral of Self." Um, I really like it. This is like a 14 minute song with a a whole bunch of different arcs that occur in it, and I think it's really neat. All the way through. There's parts of it that you really don't like, which of course I understand. I knew you were going to hate, but okay. I'm going to go toward the middle of the song. This is coming off the end of a very protracted um, sort of like African percussion inspired hand drum section. I think they're hand drums. The timbre sounds different from the regular kit that comes in
1: might be indian percussion
0: yeah it might be it's something like that but i don't think it's coming from the kit itself i really like it just because it sounds cool i understand that it's like an insane diversion that really doesn't relate to anything else but i'm i have time for that because i'm a long hair at heart um but i'm gonna come off the end of that and then we're gonna get into some stuff where it seems like astral tomb has started listening to some more black metal So when I say that this strikes me as black metal, it's not in like individual riffs or in melodic intervals, but sort of in a broader sense of construction. Uh, When that riff comes in off of the, the hand drum passage, it's based around this stinger of just... Big stern Dorian chords that which yeah, is little
1: motif, yeah,
0: which is something like uh, if you get like if you take like these slow Marduk songs, you mm-hmm. know, like take one of their slow albums like, uh, like World Funeral or Wormwood or something where they're tending to operate at these sort of doomier tempos. A lot of the riffs are based off of those stinger motifs, like that. A lot of the riffs will be built out of, you know, sort of like conventionalized, you know, big held chords or slow trem. But what you're really remembering from the riff is the uh, that stinger at the end. And that stinger usually ends up being an organizing principle for an entire song. It keeps going back to that. As you can hear in this song, they mm-hmm. work with that material for about 90 seconds just rotating things around this single like dyadic or triadic chord structure and then where it progresses from there is super naturalistic and organic into the more brutal Mm -hmm. death material. So I I guess what I'm saying is um, despite the Addition of all these kind of weird eccentric elements, the core of Astral Tomb's skill at being able to develop these really weird, jammy but directed extreme metal songs is still really intact.
1: I think that's fair. I don't think they've lost it. I just think they've wandered all over the place away from it. But there's a bunch of it here. Uh, And that's true. Like, this part is awesome. Uh, And I actually, the Marduk comparison makes sense now that you say it. It's uh, a lot of what those slow songs do and what makes them a tough sell for some people, but interesting for, I guess, people like us, is, uh, is that they sort of refuse to write... You, ordinarily, you do the slow song, so you write some sort of really elaborate black metal riff, mm-hmm. and Marduk is just refuses to write anything but Marduk riffs at yeah. this point, and we know a Marduk riff has between two and five notes. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so the slow song is going to be like that, too, um, and they find really cool ways, uh, cool and dramatic ways of using that. So I hear that, that and... um. Even just using, breaking out of that with a dive bomb into a blast part, it's brutal death blasting, but that's still a very black metal gesture. Yeah, right? yeah. Right, we did the slow part. Now, <laughs> um, you know, even the, the chords at the end coming in, I almost was sad you cut it off there, because the chords at the end are beautiful. And yeah, it And yeah. it's very black metal. Um, that's like some of the most epic Dorian texture you're going to get in the song. hmm Um, uh... Yeah, I think this, I think Funeral of Self is, I think Coward is great, I think Funeral of Self is awesome, but I also think Funeral of Self is a four and a half minute song that is padded out into a 14 minute song. Mm. Yeah, it's like, you know, the, this is a song that, um... So the death metal guy already addressed the drum solo is what it is. He basically said what I would say about it. I think the transition out of the drum solo that he sampled here is brilliant. Like, you could do something like the drum solo more succinctly, or maybe, like, there's, there's like, a whole section of interplay between the drums and guitars that precedes the death metal guy's sample. Mm-hmm. You could cut out the two minutes of solo, solo hand drums and just have a a more kind of... um. Integrated drum solo part, and that would show both the the hand the the hand drummers, who is not the same as the drummer. I think it's one of the other guys. Uh, mm. It would showcase his technical ability, and it would interact with the rest of the song in a really cool way. So credit where credit is due. Parts of that are cool, but um the uh on the end of the song, there's this weird way where they uh. Eh, You know, I'm just gonna play it for you, basically. Here is, so it continues kicking ass from where the death metal guy sample left off around nine minutes. It does that for about another minute, and then it builds to this tremendous finale. Let's start there. Yeah, you guessed it. They're going to do the loud part again. <laughs> it, it, except not. The loud part that follows this is, um, much diminished relative to the... It's just as loud, but it's it doesn't have a... There's not this complete musical idea there the way that was in the previous build-up. Um, I don't know why they did this. Uh... It seems to me that the song has a beautiful and definite finish at 10.35. You, uh, you often stress the importance of finishing a song in a cool way. Mm-hmm. It just, like, locks with that grunt right over the drum hit. Mm-hmm. That's okay. And then, I mean, if you wanted, you could fade it out on some texture, but I think it would just, it ends on a period, and then the sentence keeps going. Um, and to anyone who has listened to the s- to the stuff they're drawing on, right? I mean, if you—it sounds like those are Mogwai kind of chords at the beginning, mm-hmm. or any other post-rock band for the time, uh, early two thousands. Um, you, Godspeed, um, uh, the early Pelican stuff, oh. or whatever. That's what they do. There is is pretty familiar, and it doesn't really build weirdly it just sort of hangs out and then it's replaced by another chord they don't even orchestrate the big post rock build and i feel like i understand they're experimenting and messing around but again like the thing they were doing before that was more original and more intense and had far more dark side weed energy Okay, and I just remembered I am introducing this album. We are Air of of Abrasion by Shroud of Despondency, a very independent release from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, And... uh, We all know what made Milwaukee famous wasn't the beer, it was the severe avant garde weirdo metal of a very (laughs) small group of dudes centered on the band Prezier, who we have reviewed a few years ago. Um, And Shroud of Despondency is a member of that, is one guy from that band. Um, And he reached out to us a couple, a week or two ago, about reviewing this release that. I think it's. Is this actually an older release? Uh,
0: it came out. It's his most recent one. It came out in 2022.
1: Yeah. So okay. Fair. Fair enough. We're we're gonna hook. We're we're hooking up a friend of the show. Uh. And um. Uh. We are doing a slight time time warp, but it's his latest release. Uh. And um. It, it's it's a pretty. It,
0: it's. I, I gotta enjoying- say, I I love the ambience of the rain in the background while we talk about this record.
1: That's true. That's that's pretty perfect. Where yeah, I'm I am also in in the in the Midwest, and I'm getting an, an enormous uh, summer rainstorm. That is is it hailing? Oh, it's fucking hailing! <laughs> All right, ha- hail and kill. Anyway, um, we proceed. Um, Air of abrasion uh, is is a, I think we both agree, a very weird record that we both. Uh, sort of approve of, and have a hard time getting our heads around. Uh, I think um, this is really, in in a weird way, it's drawing on some of the same material and definitely the same era as that last Astral Tomb record. Mm-hmm. Um, but from someone who is, I'm guessing, about our age, or a little older. Yeah. So from someone who was there for it. Um, and it's definitely a metal record, but it's steeped in a bunch of, of stuff, non metal stuff from that era. And it has a kind of deeply personal, almost songwriter aspect to it that's unusual in metal and hard to pull off um, without it becoming Dear Diary. But this has a kind of. Um, this is sort of deeply affecting in the way that some of the best DSBM is, and also sort of ties the. Ties personal misery and fear into uh, a greater cosmic drama, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, here, I'll, I'll just go go through some of those, the basic stuff in my notes, right? Uh, um, musically, probably, we agree the bass element here is the most difficult late 90s, early 2000s symphonic black metal. Yeah. Um, uh, but a lot of other shit going on here. Um, it is abrasive and weird. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it's the sort of symphonic black metal that happened when they were like let's take the spiky parts and make them spikier. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. The the s- symphonic stuff being used to enhance aggression and extremity.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, the the sort of the strange spindly dissonant leads on um on the uh, the second emperor uh second emperor record.
0: Yeah, and uh, you can see how um, this connects to like you can see how this connects to thorns and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, And you have a couple cool name checks that I I don't know at all. Um, uh, We could also maybe throw out something like anorexia nervosa.
0: Oh, yeah. I was definitely going to mention anorexia nervosa. Um, There's something about the way this is presented along with the vocals – because uh, the the vocalist for Anorexia, that was Hrydmar before Count Nosferatu, yeah. Commando, Bass Mahash etc. Um, but it's got a similar sort of like ranting, sort of puking style that he would do. Yes.
2: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And also what this reminds me a lot of is the mid-2000s albums by Vladimir Koche, who did rec- uh, projects like Mirror Throne and Weeping Birth, which were really, really popular right around like 2005 to 2008, but are sort of forgotten now. But those were... Um, especially mirror throne with carriers of dust was like ultra high speed very digital uh, symphonic black metal it was almost like a precursor mm. to flesh god apocalypse or something like that
1: whoa i'm not sure i even knew about those guys back then
0: oh yeah it's it, i mean that was it was a very like a very internet thing to be into mm. it was like mm. he was really big on forums and stuff
1: yeah no that makes sense um so This is so. This is steeped in that, but it is also, in a lot of ways, very goth. But maybe in a sort of uh, capital G way, right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the subculture per se, but there's a very gothic atmosphere here, which is also something you get in anorexia nervosa and a lot of those late '90s synth black bands. Yes. Um, Also, I guess we should mention Cradle of Filth. Uh, Mm -hmm. But um, this, but the most nasty parts of cradle. Uh so yeah. this music is very focused on generating negative affect, right? Which has been one of the more controversial subjects on the show recently. Sometimes I'll the death I'll be like, "Damn, man, this record just makes you feel" Bad and like I don't know why that's like good art and you'll be like yeah but that's the point man and we go back on <laughs> forth we go back and forth on that for thirty minutes um and this is a record that's very focused on generating negative affect that I can really appreciate mm-hmm. um it really raises your cortisol levels this is very engaged it's not like enervating music it's very stressful music and and it, it doesn't just make you feel bad or or, or it sort of makes you feel this omnipresent web of stressors coming from outside you that are sort of crisscrossing your body and tearing you apart at all times.
0: It's it's a very thoughtful sort of misery, <laughs> mm-hmm. as, especially as the album progresses and a, a sort of pivot occurs halfway through. Um, I I have personal theories on what this album is about. I I really want to stress the sort of You know, singer songwriter thing you were talking about. This is extremely personal and 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 humanistic in a way that you sort of usually don't like. So it kind of surprises me that you're you're into that side of things. Maybe
1: spiritual. I could maybe say okay, spiritually that means it's not true black metal or something. That might be some of the gothiness of it or whatever but i think it i think it pulls it off um
0: well it's i, mean, I think it, it's
1: because the personal stuff is always being linked to more uh uh more impersonal things
0: that's that's fair well so i guess i'll i'll talk about it a little bit the lyrics on this record are really good mm. uh, i like them a lot and i've gone through and read the lyrics for a bunch of other shroud of despondency and they're really good too but they're very different from regular metal lyrics in that they are Extremely personal, extremely sort of vulnerable and really exploring sort of weakness and suffering in a lot of cases. This album in particular seems to be very, very focused. This might be a stretch, but I think this is very specifically about like chronic illness. Um, Reading through the lyrics, especially all the songs back to back, you have these constant motifs of like um, nerve pain. And as well as like as well as psychological disorders, but it seems to be really focused on sort of like physical nerve pain. It constantly talks about hands and stuff, so I'm thinking it might be about like a neuralgia or a neuropathy or something.
1: Not quite that bad, thankfully. Um he was getting surgeries for carpal and cubital tunnel.
0: Oh, okay, does it say Which, that on the yes, band camp? It's uh, on the band camp. I didn't and see the band camp, but it's like, oh okay, so I was right about that. You were totally
1: right. Oh, and that's I awesome. I think he might have, uh, he might have written something about me to it in the press, something about it to me in the press, but, um, yeah, I mean, I have something in my elbows like Cubital Tunnel, and this guy is a way better guitarist than me, so I can only imagine how much it hurts. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, That's that's, that, that's a bitch. Uh, but, um... Also, just generalized anxiety and tension, and it was written in he was all going through all this in late 2020. so this is peak lockdown era. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think another theme here is uh, total is isolation, whether you know uh, uh, an isolation imposed on us and a uh, you're just kind of and also, you know, that often puts you at least if you're the kind of guy who's lives in you know the lives in the northern midwest and is really into black metal that puts you in that means it's often just you and the woods right yeah so um the cover has just uh the remains of a maybe a deer corpse that's been freshly eaten by coyotes or something Mm -hmm. um not not like a cool deer skull cover this is a mangled mangled corpse with pieces of a skull Um, So there's a lot of kind of um, uh, memento mori nature stuff here. Uh, And, um, yeah, so there's... Shall we get into the samples?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, there's... (laughs) This is... (laughs) Let's listen to it again and see if I can, like, parse some of this shit a little bit better than the first couple times I listened.
1: (laughs) Right. So this is from 40 seconds into the, about 40 seconds into the first track. Um, It's called A Boy Called Erosion. The track title, it's Screamo. The song, it's also Screamo.
0: It's, it's screamo, but it's melodically built exclusively. It's it's interesting. So, melodically, it's entirely within this sort of late 90s black metal, mm-hmm, but all mm-hmm. the structural yes. stuff and the rhythmic impetus behind it is very screamo and post-hardcore.
1: Yeah, so just from the... From the uh, what's the most, maybe for some people, what's the most obvious screamoism? It would probably be the vocal, the insistent fast vocal on that last part. So, you get the... The black, the sort of um chugged blast part, which mm-hmm. is very late '90s synth black, and you get this da 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 da. You have this fast vocal repetition. It's sort of, um it's not sing-songy, but it's songy, mm-hmm. right? It's uh, it's it's vocal forward, uh, it, it's vocal forward, rockish inflection of the kind you'd be more likely to get in screamo and hardcore. Um and especially with that vocal tone, right? The vocal tone would be suited to any number of black metal bands. It's an awesome vocal, but it's also like the most wretched belly turn in screamo of the time.
0: Yeah, and um, it's interesting that that passage with, with like the blasting, uh, the blasting with that sort of like triplet chug riff under it is like that's something very like Aberim or something as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Some of the more industrial beats
0: mm-hmm. of that era. Yeah, there's definitely uh, You mentioned in the notes, but there is a substantial industrial underpinning to this whole thing.
1: Yeah, and it seems like these Milwaukee bands are linked historically to the Chicago scene. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of Chicago y bands are going to have some sort of industrial undertone one way or another uh, mm-hmm. because it's the industrial. It's the, the city of wax tracks and all that. Um, and. So there's definitely that kind of vibe here. Um, And like a certain kind of just industrial black metal or industrial anything that was happening in the early 2000s, you can sense here. Um, But also before that, the first dead giveaway is just the lurching rhythm. It starts out the gate with, Yeah. It's not one of the sort of off-kilter, spazzy, herky-jerky things that I don't like, but it's very lurching and wild. It's like Uh a drunken stumble rhythm. Um, And that sort of thing reminds me of... And it's that sort of part, and the way it's contrast... And the way then faster parts will throw into parts like that reminds me of... I I don't... This is probably not a fair reference. I'm not sure this guy listened to him, but impressionistically, it just reminds me of the Blood Brothers. Remember them?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, because like another thing that I associate a lot of this with, another sort of far-flung comparison, and maybe not Screamo, but I've always considered spiritually similar, is something like At the Drive-In.
1: Yeah, yeah, At the Drive-In had rhythms like that, for sure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Blood Brothers was like uh, one or two clicks away from Scene Kid, right? It was... uh, or, or or sort of it was that that, or hipster maybe. It was sort of like very cool Screamo
0: And it was like deliberately obnoxious in some it ways. It was deliberately
1: yeah. obnoxious, deliberately kind of effeminate in the sort of glam mm. in the sort of very different mode back then where it was kind of about a kind of perverse machismo. But it uh Yeah, they had the um I, I didn't have I think the classic album is Burn, Piano Island, Burn. Uh They didn't have a piano, but Shroud of Despondency does. (laughs) And just when I heard that, clang, 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 I was like, oh, Burn, Piano Island, Burn, right? (laughs) Um, I didn't have that album, but I had the one after it. Anyway, so... uh... This is... And they also had really nasty vocals.
0: Yeah, yeah. They were really extreme. I remember when I was really young, probably, like, before I got into metal, really, I heard mm-hmm. a random Blood Brothers song on MTV mm-hmm. or some shit. Mm-hmm. And it was like... I was like, wow, this is really awful sounding. Oh, know? yeah,
1: yeah. Blood Brothers were... So, like, that was some of the first really gnarly shit I got into, probably when I was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh... Yeah, so, um... Another important historical point, which I bet you can corroborate: symphonic black metal was not out of the question in screamo itself. To the extent that those guys were listening to, aside from like the very root hardcore grind screamo bands, which probably were actually listening to Norwegian black metal, yeah, like your Orchid, your but on the more popular wave of screamo. Like, they were listening to Cradle of Filth and Timu Borgir.
0: Oh, yeah, it was a, it was a whole sort of hot topic nexus. You know, a, a, all those kids were listening to all the same yeah. general stuff, and, you know. And
1: again, here's another one that sur- surprised me. I was in the bar the other day, and someone put on a song and was like, Hey, this is pretty good. This is like really dramatic screamo, but it sounds like elaborate synth black. Mm-hmm. Like, what what is that? It was very poppy, but it was really good. Like, what is this? Oh, it was the fucking used. Oh, really? (laughs) Who I hated back in the day, but, like, it was the bird and the worm. Um, And, you know, it's a little overwrought. It's kind of tasteless, right? It's a little, "Eh, the bird and the worm. It's a little My Chemical Romance, but you can see how they're... um, you know, they had one foot in the more extreme side of Screamo, mm-hmm. and uh, you can hear that nexus of influences. I doubt that's an influence on Shroud of Despondency, but it's Shroud of Despondency is pulling directly on the same time period and the same combination of influences.
0: Yeah, there's there, there's stuff in the water at given periods of time where even if you're not listening to like the specific bands, y- you end up yeah. interacting with those ideas.
1: For sure, for sure.
0: Um. Yeah. So, uh, it, it is. Um, you know it, what's interesting is that it's so bracing in a sense because of how authentic it is. It's yes. like I, yes. I. I think that I think that we may have uh, in some sense forgotten just how wild and weird some of that shit sounds. Just because like that whole era, like late two thousand <laughs> synth black, or excuse me, late nineties into early two thousand synth black, is like not a sound you hear anymore. Um but going back and listening to something like limbonic art is always wild because it's just like it's so crazy and so tasteless and unhinged that it's like wow we were we were really doing this shit for a while this is this is what there was a period where a lot of black metal sounded like this and that's wild um Okay, so I'm going to go to my first sample, which is off the third track. Uh, It's called The Machine That Grinds On Is The Machine That Needs Blood. Another emo song title. All of these are emo song titles, basically, um, which is cool. So this is the track where things start to pivot slightly. The first two tracks on this album are just super bracing, like grinding symphonic black metal. But this is where the album starts to open up around the edges a little bit. not in the sense that it's become less severe, but like rhythmically, there's a little bit more space to play around. It's not as uh, obsessed with density and this sort of horror vacui thing that it is on the mm-hmm. first couple tracks. And you start to get a sense that things are changing. And with the confirmation that this is about a sort of chronic illness, this is sort of like transferring from a bunch of like upfront anger and resentment into a more pensive and... <clears throat> Uh, and sort of, like, miserably accepting territory, Mm -hmm. which it gets into toward the end of the record. So, Uh, But let's listen to this. This is going to be some stuff that's along the lines of your sample, but maybe you can see things are starting to open up slightly. So you can hear that it's like immediately similar in terms of melodic contour to your first sample, but mm-hmm. there's there's more repetition. There's a sort of frustrated looping that starts going mm-hmm. on. This is that whole uh, that whole sample I play is really just like two contrasting sections, and it feels like. It, it feels like it's stuck. It's sort of like trapped within itself because you keep hearing these big momentous pauses at the end of riff sections and then it just goes back into the A riff or back into oh, the B Oh,
1: that's a good point. That really fits with the lyrics.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this song lyrically is sort of about repetition and like an, an inability to... To, to move or progress, you know, uh, dreams, sort of like dyadic modes of being, uh, you know, just A, B, A, B, A, B, just like suffering relief, suffering mm-hmm. relief, um, and, it, and relief that is, of course, poisoned by the knowledge that there's more suffering to come. Um, so it's really cool and effective at announcing this big pivot in the album That really lands with the next track, "Water in the Cemetery," where it it, everything the 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 emotional texture of the record changes completely.
1: Yeah, so yeah, so I mean, another important part of the lyrics there is I think his focus on um, work, like Mm -hmm. that he you know um, machines can't make me feel whole, machines cut away my days. My she- machines aren't there to console. My nerves as they rot away, rot away. You can see the lyrics are kind of screamo, right? The yeah. Ma- very yeah. personal. The minds I trust with my body survive on pain and my money. To them I give all that I am. The machine grinds on anyway, etc. Mm-hmm. So there's something about his, his work, even his... It's not just his guitar playing or whatever. His work he is eating his body and, uh, you know... um, and it's it's sort of uh, it's it's dissolving into the ether, into somebody else's uh, cerebral world, and into the pff, floating world of uh, funny money.
0: Yeah, into the into the medical industrial complex.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um. So, water in the cemetery. This one's wild. So, gotta say, right? The vocals here are questionable um they verge on the kind of nasally indie vocal that i really don't like however the record has built up such a wall of jarring sincerity mm-hmm. as you've already said uh and has is already so has already pr- drawn on this era of music in a more like heavy way and fully integrated way that when you actually get this burst of early 2000s indie or emo vocal it's kind of earned and I'm like when I heard it I'm like whoa what the fuck okay let's see where this goes
0: well it's Um, a apparently I was looking through some of the band's prior work and this isn't like without you know preceding material because some of the shrouded sponsee records are apparently like full-fledged neo-folk albums
1: Interesting. That's what I was gonna say. One thing that kept me listening was the arrangement behind it uh-huh. is really dense and kind of medievalist. Yeah. And ironically, maybe the closest this gets to Prazier, uh, in some ways. Um. But like the arrangement behind it could be on a neo folk record or some of the best um. Some of the best gothy indie stuff of the time, and I think the song really makes good on its promise, and the vocals have this kind of. Uh, just disarming sincerity to them. Let's listen to it. So, like the best music or poetry, this song does what it's about. So it's about like water in the cemetery, right? That's a very creepy image of the flood exhuming graves, mm-hmm. right? Af- Post disaster aftermath. um But here it becomes this kind of whimsical celebration of renewal. Um, and where the lyrics are focusing, they're not turning away from the rot under the ground, but they're sort of embracing it. And there's this joy coming out of underlying pain and fear. It's real, like, it's cute, but it's cute Dionysiac. Um, so let's listen to it. And the song bursts, like the flowers from the graves, the song bursts from the middle of this horrifying record in this dazzling kind of beautiful way. So that was lovely. Um, yeah, and uh, um, we were we were talking and talking about like the vocals, right? To you, it reminds you of a certain neo-folk convention in vocals, which I can for sure hear some of the more whimsical neo-folk. You compared it to Crooked Mouth. Yeah, we recently.
0: yeah yeah you and uh, you and hyper shaman uh, mm-hmm. reviewed mouth, uh, crooked mouth <laughs> crooked mouth no crooked mm-hmm. mouth when I was uh when I was out uh, I, th- I think I was on vacation or something but um yeah it kind of reminded me of that it's like yeah, they've got kind of a nasal timbre but it's like for me those sorts of vocals just are what they are. They're not really my thing but I'm willing to meet them on their terms um, but I really like his his melodic arrangement. Of his vocal lines. I mean, that's a really densely arranged piece of music.
1: Yes, the vocal lines are super natural and they uh, yeah, there's there's none of the because he listens to so much non-metal music, there's none of the awkwardness of the clean vocal part. He really knows how to write vocal melody. Uh, And um, yes, the density of the arrangement is fantastic. I mean, when you hear him like uh, go Like, the water in the cemetery. That really mm-hmm. sounds like the Animal Collective. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who actually had a darker side. to they, they were, I didn't like them, but they had a darker side to them. And there was some serious experimental music in it. Mm-hmm. But he does that, and at the same time, he earns it with his just cascading, gorgeous background of neoclassical or folk instrumentation. Um, you know you can you can hear the flowers blooming man mm-hmm. um it it also reminds me of most of all sort of indie rock with a gothic turn right which and especially like these UK artists like Gravenhurst and Patrick Wolfe who weren't listening to neo folk but who sort of got there anyway uh-huh. But yeah, this part, this this song is is beautiful and sort of disarming. Anyway, uh, I know we got to wrap it up soon. Death Metal Guy, any more thoughts?
0: Um, Well, I, I just, uh, I, I don't have to rush out quite yet, but I will say okay. it's like, it is interesting. Th- this is a record that makes more sense when you get to the end of it than it does when you're undergoing it. Because, you know, your first listen, having this sort of neoclassical neo folk track uh, is very disarming, but read through the lyrics, go back and listen to the album again, and it feels like a very natural development. You know, this this is definitely a record where theme and musical intent are, are deeply intertwined. Um, so... This isn't the thing that I typically go for on metal records. I'm just, I, I have just kind of missed the boat on neo folk. I, I, think at this point I've heard enough of it to decide it's just like I'm never going to be that into this sort of thing. But I can appreciate yeah, it for what yeah, it is, yeah. um, and it does work really well, especially as we move toward the final song, uh, another capstone epic we're talking about on this uh, this episode, which is Entropy Divine. Uh, This is the longest song on the record at like nearly 15 minutes. I think it's by far the best. And it's this is where everything really arrives musically and emotionally. Um, This is like there's moments on this that are genuinely kind of heartbreaking between the lyrics and the music, which is interesting because this is, in essence, a sort of screamo post-black song in full bloom, but a really, really good articulation of it. So this is very hard to sample. So let's go somewhere toward the beginning of the song, kind of as it really gets its feet under it and listen. This is operating within a certain kind of post black idiom, but I think the constituent influences are radically different. The thing that I'm really pulling off this song is like um, 60s through 80s singer songwriter stuff. And I'm thinking like really heavily of like Fleetwood Mac. Um, There's that 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 big really elegant springtime melodic motif that that ascending arpeggio that little dun 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 i i swear to god that's something that philip Lindsay does on a fleetwood mac song or something very mm-hmm. close to it uh f- for anyone who hasn't listened like especially if you're a guitarist go back listen to fleetwood mac philip Lindsay's finger picking is basically unparalleled even now um <clears throat> So yeah, it it's really interesting to hear this this blooming sort of vivacious springtime melodic arrangement with just the some of the most miserably despairing lyrics I've ever mm-hmm. seen.
1: Oh my god, this track is ugh.
0: This like makes me feel like radically uncomfortable to read the lyrics because like like there's there's like stanzas where it's like, "Oh, I've I've felt" Oh, same. Oh, I mean, even toward the beginning, just, you know, nostalgia is regret. I remember the time my nerves weren't fried and all the ways I tried to survive. And then a little bit later, I'm beginning to feel things decay. A sixth sense developed over time. Can't remember faces. I never see names. A reflection losing its shine. It's... I... I, I've started going numb in new ways. I've started making up for lost time when youthful vigor led me to think I'd survive and walk away unscathed. So there's a whole thing it's not just about, you know, the the, the chronic physical ailment, but it's about that being a sign of getting older. And oh my
1: god yeah yeah this is this one's for all you bangers in your 30s
0: man. oh oh oh, d- oh yeah as as we barrel headlong through our 30s aren't you feeling a lot of these things dude <laughs> oh
1: yeah born crumbling falling trembling rubbing itself slowly against itself wearing away the pain kept at bay by youthful forms and self ignorance how long can i last beside this shrine how long is my prime how long till the terminal tingle how long till my hands become one claw that can't scratch but myself in lieu of anyone else?
0: Oh, God, dude. And and just the way it ends, just this repeated couplet of, I remember the time I thought I could heal. I remember the time I worked to conceal my weakness. So it's it, this whole nested this the of awful like feelings of you know the the immediate problem is the physical pain this physical ailment but that's merely an indicator of mortality and life slipping away and trying to understand if you as a person have meaning or have any effect on the world around you these are all feelings that like i ruminate on when i'm laying in bed at night you know (laughs)